Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm. Mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. I participate in McDonald's. Looking for the best sports coverage on the web? Then check out The Dan Patrick Show on Podcast One Sports Net. Join the sportscaster Monday through Friday as he covers the biggest games all year long with a whole bunch of A-list guests from the world of sports entertainment. Download new episodes of The Dan Patrick Show every week only on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Want to take some time to talk to you guys about a shirt that is guaranteed to fit. A dress shirt that's guaranteed to fit. Collars that won't be too tight. Sleeves that won't be too long. Something is always not right and you look like a joke when you wear a collared shirt that doesn't fit. I can attest to this. It's one of the reasons I don't buy collared shirts personally. But if you go to Proper Cloth, you can order a custom fit shirt and it's never been easier. You answer 10 questions and the machine learning capabilities allow them to figure out a shirt that'll fit you. It's amazing what we can do with math. Not only does Proper Cloth make it easy to create your custom size, they make it really simple to completely customize your shirt down to the style and collar that you want. You want a bigger pocket, bigger left cuff. You want to wear your watch on your left or your right side. They have an amazing number of options, 30 different style points to get the exact style that you want. The team of Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world, and they only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality in craftsmanship. I'm wearing one right now, and that's saying something because I hate wearing shirts uh, that are dress shirts, and I'm wearing one. That's how well it fits. Proper Cloth has been featured in many top publications such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Esquire, GQ, and Fast Company. GQ even calls them their new favorite online custom shirt maker. Go to propercloth.com today and use promo code PFF20 to save $20 off your first shirt. It's really easy. Propercloth.com slash PFF or enter the gift code PFF20 to save $20 on your first shirt. because we have a fire now it's very festive and two because we've got someone on the line who is a good friend of ours a awesome person to follow on twitter and honestly that's kind of how i lead it off josh josh hermsmeyer what the hell do i even refer to you as what's your go-to title i don't even know i don't know i guess i guess i'm an analyst that at 538 is probably the way i describe myself that's my it's my big platform it's the one i'm most uh you know thankful to have because uh, you actually get some readership that way but yeah twitter twitter's a lot of fun man i i, I uh I don't know. Some people find me too smarmy. I'm a big troll. But if you like imagine me pounding out these tweets with my thumbs and misspelling half the words and just smiling the whole time, <laughs> I think it's a little easier to take. Well, yeah. And, and what's what's really cool and like, you know, why you're, you're one of the first guests we you know ha- have had on the show is just like you've done such a great job, I think, in 
democratizing football research, right? Like you've, you know, you started out kind of independently, you had your own business, you still have your own business. And on the side, you were sort of studying football and coming up with great insights. And then what I respect a lot about you as well is this sort of a competitive space, but you do such a great job of also promoting other people's work. And what it does is I think we've made so much more progress in football analytics because of people like you and I think you're you know sort of the leader in that realm and then the the second thing which I think like you're most I, I in my opinion what I think is the coolest thing you've done so far is you've like fundamentally altered daily fantasy football like I you know I know I've been watching your your friend Pete's uh, you know YouTube videos and things like that and how like I, and I don't know if it's mostly a joke but he's so frustrated with this idea that like there are not these like huge edges in drafting wide receivers in DFS because of your by low model and it's such a great like I know testament to studying football finding something that you know in hindsight like yeah air yards are a huge deal and they they measure intent uh, modeling something around that and now forcing I think DFS players to find another edge and that's like you know all research is about so that's that's, I I find that super cool and we're so happy to have you on today that makes one of us Hey, look, at least I got some kind words out of you got that. We maxed out kind words in the first two minutes on purpose so that now nothing but uh, nothing but sarcasm here at Frisco Josh on Twitter. uh, Everyone assumes that you're from San Francisco, which I find to be one of the best bits uh, in the whole thing. But let's start off with this. Uh, We've got a couple of questions that are sort of non football related that really guide us into what kind of a person you are the first one is what's your favorite beverage so you know this is tough but i think i'd have to go with with a a session ipa and the the reason why i like session ipas is because they're often like have cool names like all day ipa and that's really (laughs) the way i drink or at least how i like to drink when i'm when i'm having a good uh, a beer it's also uh you guys mentioned my my previous lives i used to be a winemaker and uh, there's these, these old cliches, takes a lot of beer to make good wine, but it's totally true. We're not out there just drinking our wine. We're, we're drinking a bunch of beer while we're making wine. And, uh, and so I've, I've kind of had that as part of, uh, as part of me for, for, you know, 20 years now. And so I like these, I like these lower alcohol, uh, IPAs with a lot of flavor. And, uh, so yeah, that would be my, definitely my favorite drink. The, the tweet you had the other day about how you had to wear a hazmat suit to make wine, like, no wild, isn't that great? I, I was, and I was so like surprised there, but now it kind of does make sense given like the, you know, the, the toxicity and things like that, that can come out of there. But that, yeah, that's, that's sort of interesting. And then you drink beer while you make wine. It's kind of, uh, kind of a really funny, uh, uh, change there. I'm going to hold on. No, go ahead. I think like winemakers are, are the schnooty guys with the pinkies in the airs and, and no, man, these are the guys that are like, you know, all dirty. They've got like grape skins all over them. They're stained hands and they're, and they're drinking beer. It's just a, there's like a, a kind of a, a huge difference between the perception and the reality of, uh, of winemaking. It's not glamorous at all. Yeah, it's like the run game. So, so Josh, yeah, it is the run game. <laughs> Josh, what is so? And I've I've only been able to watch one football game with you before, and it was pretty fun. Although, again, we were drinking IPAs, so <laughs> it went downhill really quickly. Uh, what is your when you watch football on a Sunday? What's your routine? How do you how do you set the thing up? Yeah, since I wake up on the best coast, you know, it's I might get up a little bit, a little bit early. Uh, you just had to throw that in there, huh? You just well, had to remind I mean, me. 
Uh, it's just it's you're from you're from uh, California, right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, I, I know you have to miss that time zone, if not, you know, the beautiful beaches and the, and the perfect weather. But um, I'm not actually in California anymore. I grew up there, but now I'm up in uh, near near Washington, uh, Spokane, Washington, in a little place called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. But I'm still Pacific time. So anyway, I get up and uh, you know, after about an hour, like chatting with the family. I'll catch up on the NFL news and then I'll just, you know, like most of you just descend into the, the man cave for seven, seven or eight hours. I like, uh, I like to keep at least like one full game on so I can see every snap. Um, and that might be our Ravens most weeks. And then, uh, but then I don't know. I have a question for you guys. I prefer Scott Hansen's red zone to the NFL or to the uh, direct TV version with uh, Andrew. Do you guys have a preference between the two of them or are you guys just only watching games? Uh, well, I got to stay, I, I stayed home this week and I have Scott Hansen's version. I would say after being at the office and watching Cecilia all, you yeah. know, for, for weeks on end, Hansen's better. I am a, uh, I'm a, ha- a Hansen devotee, but I have great respect for what both of them have to do. Yes. So I think that people that hate on Siciliano, like publicly, should just go, you know, into the depths of hell. But, but yeah, I think I think you're directionally right there, and Hanson is a is the preferable one. Um, I think I think. And sorry, don't mean to derail, but I think the reason why I like it is because he's super aggressive about getting to a game yes. that isn't boring. You know what I mean? So yeah. right, I think that's why I enjoy him. Yep. I, I enjoy the passion and not wanting to hear yourself talk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Last, uh, last kind of funny question. We, we share a love for food and I'm curious if you had to eat one meal and one meal only for the rest of your life, what would it be? I think it'd be pho. Pho is a Vietnamese soup with like typically rice noodles in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, if I had to like, since I'm, since it's the only one I'm ever going to eat again, I'd want it to be like maybe Kobe beef. And I, I think I could do that. Uh, you know, maybe make it spicy one day and you know, change it up with something else the next. But that would, it would probably be that. I, I love soup and uh, and I love good, uh, a nice meat in my soup. And uh, that's that. That's how I roll. That's a phenomenal answer. Yeah, I remember when we went to uh, Vegas <laughs> and uh, we had Kobe beef and we had the certificate. Yeah, I was walking around Vegas drunk with the certificate. Fa is it? Fa is a great answer because a lot of people have said things that they hope they can spice up and make differently, like pasta. But pasta is way too general. You got to you got to narrow it down for me. And the great thing with soup is, as you said, you can add a little bit of spice or make it mild. Uh, that's I think maybe the best answer we've we've gotten a lot of pasta. Someone said bread. Didn't you say bread? No, I thought you said bread. You decided you were just gonna have baguettes for the rest of your life. No, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a big soup guy, so I, I really that's do true. like Josh's answer. Uh, yeah, soup is a good one. Um, I would I would probably have to go with steak, but that's just me. Uh, all right, football questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, go ahead. You go first. Uh, yeah. So um, let's talk about the one of the things that that we've talked about, you know, on uh, in Twitter for a long time. What is what is the crux of defense doesn't matter and and how how strong is that conclusion and how limited is it? <laughs> I mean, so the, there's like there's there's like two two spaces where I would talk about defense not mattering. Like one is fantasy. We talked about that earlier. I think I think it's, I am absolutely behind it 100 percent in in that context. In real football, I mean, of course, defense matters, right? Like, but the problem is is that the way we measure it doesn't like we're not good at measuring defense currently i think you guys at pff have the best system um but even then uh, in a lot of ways defense is just 
measured in a way that we're not actually capturing what's important. And we know that because as you guys talk about all the time, there are certain things that aren't stable. And if you can't project something forward, what are you actually measuring? Um, I think, I think the problem with defense and, and my hope is that at some point we'll be able to quantify traits in a way, because I think traits is what drives defensive performance. And then the ability to work within a group, um, cause it's like a weak link thing instead of like a strong link thing. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, if we could get traits quantified in a better way, um, and we could prove that they're like something that's repeatable, I think we'd get a lot closer to solving, uh, the, the defense doesn't matter problem. But right now someone throws me a DVOA or something like that, or EPA per play for defense, I'm going to tell them it doesn't matter because it doesn't, it's, you're, you're not measuring the right thing. Well, and that, I mean, that's you. And I think you, you said something in there that was extremely uh, valuable in that a lot of things in life are weak ties and weak ties are not something that is immediately apparent to us when we first analyze something. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think like the, the correlation between the performance of the nickel corner and the three technique is not something that we're like, we have to, I think we have to get a lot better at, 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 with our techniques and our tools to be able to find that. But I imagine that that's probably when we talk about defense, the, the cluster injuries, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the downstream, effects of losing one player i agree with you i think is is probably um you know the 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 next you know set of things that we have to study i remember messaging you a couple weeks ago looking at you know how i bet props oh i know (laughs) i'm aware and and i and the funniest thing i put these things in a spreadsheet and i'm like wait a sec this guy's rushing prop has been the same for five straight weeks and i'm like i have to message josh and tell him defense doesn't matter because clearly (laughs) if defense mattered this prop would like because we know you know, the betting markets, even props are pretty sharp. You know, you go, th- you know, they, they would have adjusted for it and they simply haven't. So uh, that that is a, a good testament to the analysis you've done. And while it's offended a lot of people, I think it's it's pretty spot on to the degree that we understand it at this point. My, my favorite thing about the defense doesn't matter is how angry people get when you say something doesn't matter. And what we're talking about is you shouldn't pay attention to the things that that people put out as gospel, which everyone I think intuitively knows that a lot of the things people put out as, hey, this is my fact, use it, is probably not the most predictive thing in the universe, right? But when you phrase it as, hey, it doesn't matter, you shouldn't pay attention to it, the, the trigger coefficient goes way up. And that's that's my favorite thing about it. We, I actually think personally, I know some of us do it on purpose, like us three, I think do a pretty good job of doing it on purpose. But generally, the community of like math and sports does a very poor job of trying to communicate things in a way that normal, everyday people can just understand. And I think part of it is like trying to be arrogant. Uh, sometimes it's just trying to be sarcastic. Yeah. But that, that's one of my favorite parts about it, because anyone that watches the game of football, we have conversations with, you know, like the kind of former football players, Chris, Solomon Wilcots, Bruce Gronkowski, and they all share a lot of the same intuitions about coverage about defense uh, about play action but they have they just think of it in a different way and um and then when someone attacks them with hey this doesn't matter it's like offensive yeah yeah and i think i think i'm glad that other people are triggered now because when i was just kind of dipping my toe in the football analysis four or five years ago there what triggered me was that just as you said everyone was out there pointing to nebulous 
kind of irrelevant stats as evidence for some position. And that that literally drew me up the wall. And so I wanted to figure out which people I should pay attention to, which stats are important. And, and like it turned out for defense, like none of them. And so that 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 really drove the defense doesn't matter. But I'm glad the other people are triggered now because I was legitimately, you know, just absolutely every day I would log in. And uh, I couldn't believe my eyes about what people were saying about football um, as fact. Yeah. The, the defense doesn't matter thing is one of the is one of the things I think about most in terms of what you've contributed because it comes up so much when Eric and I talk about football games. Yeah. But I am curious, what is what is something that you haven't studied? Uh, or have tried to study, uh, but have been unable to prove or get close to mathematically that in your deep heart, dark heart, when you're sipping on your 2% session IPA, the 15th one, trying to get a buzz on, uh, you, you really believe. I think this is interesting because I just did a, an article on this about uh, performance outside the pocket by quarterbacks. And I think, uh, I think we've all found that play action is this thing you can't really uh, predict forward. You know, you know it's going to be good. Performance on play action is going to be good, but you can't really say, well, he was this good, so he's probably going to remain that good. It's, it fluctuates high variance. So, but there's this part of, of this play, this performance out, outside the pocket that's kind of exemplified by Patrick Mahomes, this amazing ability to create the art of playing the position that. It, there seems to be evidence to support the idea that that is stable, that that is something that if you find that in a quarterback, he'll continue to be good doing that at some, you know, to some degree, but I can't prove it. Um, it's not significant from a frequentist perspective. I can't really show it from a Bayesian perspective. Like, so all the tools we have with statistics are kind of failing, but it, it's kind of pops up every now and then in, in, in the numbers. And I think that, I think that's something I probably believe it is real and that we're just unable to tease it out. Eric has Eric is uh, having a hot flash. Right well, now. well, as a Chiefs fan, I, I can tell you this. When Alex Smith was out of the pocket, I didn't feel very good about that play. But when Patrick Mahomes is out of the pocket, Josh, who has the best pass rating outside the pocket right now? Oh, man, I want to say the best qbr right now was was stafford no no that was inside the pocket i'm sorry i'm blanking i'm using just gonna have to tell so me. the reason i bring this up is i'm just using regular nfl pass rating because it okay, supports good. what i want to talk about which is jimmy sure. <laughs> oh my goodness how how that's happy right does that he make was you? he was really high up there wasn't he? yeah yeah um, so 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 explain to me you guys watch a lot of the 49ers he rarely goes outside the pocket and when he does go outside the pocket it's like some schemed up shanahan yeah, trick yep. play so i mean what what do you think about that like he seems to me like more he has more of third down russell wilson in him than he has anything else he just has this ability on third down to somehow keep the chains moving and make the big play, even though he's been put in some pretty onerous situations this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I am fully on board with the separation of scheme versus, you know, making things happen, right? The scramble versus the rollout. And Shanahan is so good at drawing up the rollout. I mean, I still remember Bill Barnwell saying that Jimmy G was not athletic enough to run Shanahan's very uh, athletically demanding rollout uh, play action game offense. But what I think is cool about Jimmy G is he's got, obviously he looks great, but he's got a fearlessness about him that, uh, you know, he'll win or lose you the game, but he's not going to just, you know, 
he's not going to just sit there and hope it works out in his in his favor. He's confident in his release, and as you said on third down, he, he'll just throw it right. And sometimes it looks super ugly, but he's at least going to give you a chance to win the game. Um, and that's what's that's something I can respect about him. And now he's got receivers that can actually run a route and catch the ball. And it's ama- I, it's got me a little excited. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing what adding. And so we were we're unveiling like we're doing an article today on war. And one of the things that I always wrestled with was this idea of how valuable receivers end up mm-hmm. being in that metric, because we know that there's entanglement. We know that there's opportunity issues. Right. But you've you know, to your uh, again, to shine a light on your work, you've shown that opportunity is skill at the receiver position. Um and the receivers just pop up in terms of value. They pop up in terms of value. And we're sort of seeing that, right? We're seeing that with the New England Patriots. We're seeing that with the San Francisco 49ers. You get Emmanuel Sanders. You get George Kittle. You get Debo Samuel is a guy who's, like, changed that offense. He's a dras- great number three. Dr- drastically. And it, it really does enhance, you know, that team you saw last season with Amari Cooper on on Dallas. And, right. and again, it just, it just shows, like, some of these things that – I don't have I didn't have great intuition on. I thought receivers were really a product of their quarterback. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see that like it actually I mean they do drive a great deal of offense. I, I am a big Manny Sanders fan. I'm so glad we got Emmanuel Sanders over. I say we, Josh. Uh <laughs> Because so Steve Palazzolo hates like the fandom associated with things. And I think I'm a good enough. I'm arbitrary enough that I can be funny with it. But I am very uh, excited for our time in, in Miami coming up soon. I hope you'll be joining us. If you guys keep, you know, a, a clean couch, clean couch cushions, I'll, I'll crash on it. Josh, I'll crash on it so we, so we can save up for the chopper to the stadium. Josh, you know, we got we, we to gotta ride in style. If there's one thing you should know about me, if I ever invite you somewhere, the couch will be clean. George, George, is, uh, <laughs> George is very much the... Uh, we, we will drink nice things. We will eat nice things and the couch will be clean. Now, you may we, go may, broke, we may be broke oh, afterwards, you know, broke but we will have a great time doing it. Um, All right, fair enough. What, so what's one thing about writing for 530, 538 that, that no one will guess is true, right? You write about an article a week. They're awesome. But what is one, what is one thing about that process that no one, no one gets? And and Uh, why is it declaring that you're a Democrat? Uh, Well, thank you for this. Thank you for this question, Eric. Gosh, I mean, we, we had dinner in Philadelphia and I think I kind of talked about this at length. Um, so one of the things about 538 that I think most people don't realize is the rigor. Like we, I have three levels of editorial for, for every piece I write and it starts with a quantitative editor. Um, she's, she's absolutely incredibly brilliant. So she'll go through and remind me how bad at stat I am. And then my sports mm-hmm. editor will come in and tell me how much I don't know about football. And then the copy editor will come in and tell me how much I don't know about the English language. And so by the time we're done with that, we truly each week have a, a kind of a, a piece that was created, you know, by a team. And so that's, that's, uh, that's probably the most interesting part and the most kind of like challenging part of yeah. being a writer at 538. You don't really have the kind of freedom you might expect, um, because there's so many constraints on, you know, on what they'll publish because of the quality concerns. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the cool thing about 538 and I think about, you know, these high end kind of, uh, pristine, you know, news organizations in general is that, 
the quality of their editorial is just so much more than maybe what you might imagine imagine from the outside. Well, I, I thought that Shots was fired. I thought that was so. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was so interesting when you talked about that and and sort of the time that it takes you to go from idea to finished product is something that. I don't think people that read good, like people that just take good work for granted don't necessarily understand. Uh, and so it was cool to like listen to that. And also, uh, you know, so I really wanted to ask that question because I know, um, you know, it, it takes, you know, it takes, it doesn't, it, Rome isn't built in a day, as they no. say. It, you know, I, you hit on something, Josh, that I think is so important and it's important in math. It's important in the game of football. It's important in life like really paying attention to detail and putting process around things and caring about every component of your work, even though it seems mundane, it is how you get to greatness ultimately. Right. And one of the things that Eric has taught me a lot about the mathematical space is the ability to do that with simple things that you can learn a lot from. And I, th I think you have done a really nice job of that too. And something that I continually work on because I'll sit there and be like, I really want to get to the, the, this awesome complex result. It's like, Hey, take a fucking step back and you know, just like get the stuff that's right in front of you and do it really well. And I you think, can gain a lot from that. I think our friend Cade, when he was you know speaking at the conference uh, a couple, like a month ago, basically said, nail the simple things before you mm -hmm. move on to the difficult things. Yep. And I do think that that's like three, know. three levels of editorial. Like that's, yeah. that's a simple implementation. It is a lot of effort put on something that I think a lot of people out there probably take for granted, right? It's like production of a TV show. People take for right. granted how much time it takes yep. to go through the graphics for Sunday night football. And it's a, it's a process that starts as soon as the game ends uh, yep. the week before. So, um, that, that's really no, cool. And, and, and to your point about production of, of TV telecasts and things like that, it always shows, and this isn't just buttering Chris's muffin, but I mean, you know, he's working on the, 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 you know, broadcast yep. each week for football. And so, but it always shows, right. You know, when you're watching Sunday night football with Al Michaels and Chris, I mean, it's just, there's a feeling you get. And I think, so the, the accumulation, the aggregation of all those small details kind of eventually shows itself in the final product. Yeah. yeah I mean, the thing, the, the thing that's so cool about it, and again, it's it's a similar thing we talk about when we consult with teams, when we talk to analysts. It's like if you allow the analytics and if you allow the the advanced stuff to be something that you know maybe other people do for you that you have sort of you're you're being taught those things, then you can do the thing you're brilliant at, right? So Chris doesn't have to Chris doesn't have to study the probability of the fourth down conversion, or Chris doesn't have to talk about whether inside the pocket, outside the pocket are stable he can he can focus on the stuff that like we're bad at which is oh look the left tackle got whipped on that like on that uh, stunt in that play he figures it out way faster than anybody else because all these other things are done for him and and, and he assimilates that information so quickly you know much like a, you know we've always talked about with coaches coaches don't have if they like allow somebody to do you know the fourth down decisions for them then they can think about the next best scheme and we've seen that with uh, as we said, our Ravens is like they have all the hacks done and now they're onto the thing that we couldn't dream up, which is running a scheme that's so much better than everybody else's uh, on offense and to, to a degree on defense. And that's, and that's
And that's really what where progress is made. Solve the problems, solve solve some problems that no one else is solving, so that you can get onto you know even you can lap them even further by doing the stuff that you're qualified to and do. be humble enough. Like that's the thing, you know. Al and Chris are great. I, I love that you mentioned that that they have a sort of special feeling when they come on the broadcast, and it goes back to Fred Gadelli, the producer, who works as if he's he's trying to get just a job tomorrow. Like the effort that he puts in to give them feedback, the rigor that he has for the stuff that I give to them, which is like the 19th thing on his list, right? The rigor that he has for the, every shot that he gets from a cameraman. It's, it's incredible. But you mentioned the Ravens and you said they have all the hacks. I'm curious. You watch the Ravens a lot, Josh, what are the Ravens not doing that they should be or doing that they shouldn't be? Ooh, Gosh, now they, they're doing so much right. It's hard for me to say like what they should or shouldn't do. But I do think uh, recently the amount of running they've been doing with Lamar um, and maybe not having him coached up to get down the same way as perhaps uh, we've seen Kyler Murray coach to get down. You see that guy. He'll slide if there's a guy within seven yards. Yep, I was going to say uh, he's. <laughs> giving up five yards every time, but yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it, he's maybe taking it too far. And, and I think, you know, you know, Lamar is a different runner. He's a special, special athlete. And, and, and I don't blame like him for wanting to get, you know, what he thinks are free, you know, you know, take the profit. But, but I think, uh, I think, you know, now he's got a thigh bruise. He's kind of complaining about people going low on him. And, and I think, you know, that's the danger, right? That's what everyone's waiting to kind of jump on the Ravens to see, it's not sustainable. You can't do this in the NFL. And I just, I don't even want that mess. I don't even want to hear it. And I want to see them avoid it uh, at all costs. I thought there were a couple times in the Niners game where I was like, oh shit. Like I thought, I thought a, a Niner D lineman was going to like kill him. And to his credit, the guy manages to avoid those monstrous hits. Um, yeah. And I think one of the reasons that they're so, I mean, they're so good early in the football game, right? And you brought this up, Eric, with the Patriots game. It's like they want to get a lead so that they don't have to sit there and overrun Lamar, you know, because it gives them, when you have a lead, you can play around with more Mark Ingram. And but you've also, Gus, Gus if, you've gotten, if you've gotten a lead with a player like Lamar Jackson, the, like, the other team is not going to be like, okay, now they're going to run Ingram and, and Gus the bus the rest of the game. No, they're terrified of, they're Lamar terrified Jackson. of Lamar Jackson. And you get, you know, that's why Mark Ingram You've set up the Mark Ingram Gus. Well, and we Gus talked Edwards about this. Runs. So like we talked about, you know, the, the very, you know, uh, basically third order effect that a running quarterback can have on rushes by running backs, um, which is, which is not trivial at all. And, and we've seen that this year uh, with those two guys uh, running the football effectively. And, and, but again, yeah, I, I agree with you, Josh. I think the hardest thing would be for, because I, I think fundamentally Lamar does a great job of avoiding hits, but it only takes one. And yeah. so uh, anytime you can't, you don't have to cross the street. Just don't. Uh, in fairness, you've taken your fair share of hits from me on the basketball court and are still, I'm still, I am. I am. <laughs> Uh, hey, I saw you. I saw you out dunk Steve. So I don't know. You know, the shade can only go so far here. <laughs> it's a <Yeah>. tall order. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I was. Uh, I, I like all the people that, you know, they give the Ravens a ton of credit for drafting Lamar and they should. And we talked about how great it was. And a lot of people talked about how great it was. But then other people will bring up, look, they took two dot tight ends ahead of him. Just one tight end, right? Just Hayden Oh, Hurst. just Hayden Hurst. Yeah. Uh, he counts as two because he's 45. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> that's, right. Uh, that's right. And I was I was thinking about Josh Allen because Josh Allen's on Sunday night this week. And I was like, what if, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar were still there at 
you know, that pick. Yeah. Would they have taken Lamar over Josh Allen? And I mean, we that was one of the things I said was like, and we were totally in lockstep with this as a company. You should take Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen a hundred times out of a hundred, and yet he went so much higher. And I wonder if you know that if they would have done it. I, what do you think? So I'm. I don't want to be disingenuous and say I was a Lamar stan. Uh, every mathematical model based on historical results would tell you he was something really far from a sure thing, right? Yeah. But there was also, you know, the fact that, you know, the numbers also show if you've got a mobile quarterback, you know, if you put him in the right situation, you probably could have something special. And so it's it's this whole thing. Like if Lamar went to to the Bengals, uh, you know, what what would we be talking about Lamar right now? Like, I don't know that we would be. Um, and slot, so I just, slot wide receiver. <laughs> I think he'd be spending a lot of time in the bathroom after eating too much Skyline chili, but that's just, that's just me. No, you, yeah, so, you make a, you make so, a so great it's, point. It's really hard. It's really hard. I just, I, I guess I want to say like, I'm a huge Ravens fan. They're my favorite team. There are Ravens, but, um, you know, when I talk about Lamar now, it's just in appreciation, not a, a not need like dunking on some yeah. take I had that he was going to be amazing. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that that's the right approach. I mean, it, we all we all you know, we all make errors. And, you know, in terms of like our evaluation of people and it's and it's important when things happen the way that we want them to happen to make sure that be like, well, our take wasn't 100 percent that he was going to work out and zero percent that he wasn't right. because there are other players then that we were fairly, you know, like, for example, the, the two of us and you both like Will Greer. And, and granted, the the jury is still out on Just him, hasn't gotten a but shot. it doesn't look it doesn't look good so far. So. You you win some, you lose some, but I would say my opinion was always, I think the Ravens probably internally value the things that Lamar does better than Josh Allen more than the things he didn't do better than Josh Allen. So my guess, and I have no insider information, is that they would have taken Lamar yeah. ahead of Josh Allen had they had the opportunity to. I, I, I am too. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Speaking of people uh, and your uh, judgment of them, I want to get out of here on this. We spent a lovely evening together in Indianapolis, Josh, with uh, with a good friend of ours named Evan Silva, who I've got to be 100 uh, percent transparent on was not one of my favorite people when I jumped into the football universe. Now, I've done a complete 180. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. The guy is awesome. And uh I mean, we had a blast. He talked to Sean Payton. That was one of the better interviews, shortest, but also best interviews I've heard uh, at a bar in Indianapolis. That's for sure. I'm curious. What is your favorite story that you have uh, with regard to Evan Silva? So uh, Evan and I, uh, you know, we have this kind of standing bet. It's kind of like a football skills challenge. And uh, it was a year or two ago. Uh, where he was basically, you know, calling me out on my, on my ability to throw a football. Mm. And so now we're, you know, we have this, we have this kind of this nebulous football skills challenge on the books. We're going to someday get to when there's actually a nice day in Chicago, which are you know, just way too rare to plan around. And so eventually at some point he and I and our chosen kind of like seconds are, are going to do this thing. And I, and I think, you know, I, we've all spent some time together. Evan's a, you know, a larger guy you would expect to maybe play him on the line, maybe, at, maybe at tackle. 
Um, you know, so I don't know, I don't, I don't know that he's actually going to, to best me in this, in this, in this skills challenge. But my favorite story was him coming after me on Twitter with this. He likes to talk about the streets and he'll see me in the streets and that they're rough. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm really waiting and I hope you're listening, Evan. I'm really waiting. You put this on the books and really get this thing done. Uh, cause I'm gonna throw that damn football over the mountain. I, I remember. So for, for, and yeah, Evan's a big, when I think of Evan, I think of him as like a three tech, but of like the old, <laughs> wow, the old Jaguars. Remember like John Henderson and Marcus Shroud, like those, the wow. six, eight, three fifty, just like, like you're not running the football on this GD team right Interesting. now. That's how I think of Evan. Okay. I was going to say he reminds me of Garrett Bowles when he has like six holding penalties in a game. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Man. But but the Bron- funny Broncos fans just deleted the podcast. He, he uh, <laughs> all two of them. He uh, he was he was funny in that like we were just chilling there and I'm like and I I had like an honest this is me I had an, like an honest question for him I'm like Evan what do you do when the football season's over like you know are you do you like take some time off all this kind of stuff and he goes I fight people at bars. Is what he told me, and I was like, "Okay, this guy is zero. This, this guy isn't serious right now." That's oh, tremendous. I, I didn't actually hear that one. I I was there like in spirit for the Peyton interview, but um, you know, it was it was noisy. I didn't catch everything. But the best part something. of that entire thing was Evan tweeting the next day that he had a great time with at Frisco Josh at PFF George at Sean Payton Saints or whatever his Twitter <laughs> handle is. That was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> We've got to do some something similar in a place that isn't freezing cold, and then we can do the football competition as well. I support oh, that. We got to do it. We got to do it. Josh, uh, we appreciate you coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. We appreciate your work, obviously, and uh, we should do it again soon, man. Guys, I can't wait to read uh, your article on war and uh, and uh, anyway, anything, everything that's going to come out of your guys' research on war. I just I can't wait to see it. I'm really stoked for you guys. Um, uh, Eric, your most recent article. Just tremendous stuff trying to tease out, you know, what a running quarterback does to an offense, specifically the rushing game. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm the biggest fan. I love where you guys have helped take pro football focus. I think it's it's, it's just increased in value to, to everyone who watches football immeasurably since you guys have come on board. So thank you guys. Well, the feeling is mutual. We thank you and uh, enjoy the, the best coast, brother. All right, man. Big thanks to uh, Josh. That was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, that was great. Josh is probably one of my favorite people uh, on the football planet. Um, and he shares he shares a lot in common with both of us. And they're like some of the very different things that, yeah. that we have, which I think is cool. So you ready to get into some games? Yeah, let's chat football. I'm excited. Uh, so we have a terrible slate this week. Yeah, which I mean, means so do we do we do we want to talk about futures at all because these games suck so bad or do we can? Okay, because I think I mean really all all we got to do is we got to decide on a lock of the week. There yeah. are so many bad games that I'm going to tell you to go to Green Line uh, and check them out if you really want to stink it up that much. So futures, uh, you have to bet on the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, the number one value is my Niners, right? No, actually, we were talking. We were talking about this internally. Um, Unreal. <laughs> we were talking about this internally because the the Niners are the weirdly the favorites in the NFC to get the one seed, but it's but 
they're not even that drastic of favorites to get the NFC West, right? Because they have about a 60% chance to get the NFC West. And if they do, there's almost a 95% chance that they get the one seed. New Orleans has already gotten their division locked up. They, you know, they have an overwhelming chance to get a bye. And that's really the thing. I mean, winning one road game as the Niners showed last week is not insurmountable. And and so we actually have new Orleans, uh, the favorite to win the NFC. And so if you look at, you know, they're plus two seventy five in some places, we have more like plus 200, um, to, to win the NFC to win the super bowl. They're at some places they're plus seven fifty. We make it more like plus four sixty one. So there's still a value. And I think it's a perfect, by low situation mm-hmm. for uh, New Orleans because they're just coming off of losing a game where everybody made that out to be the NFC Super Bowl. And we know that that's just not the case all the time. We know that that's, you know, we know that those games in the regular season are meaningful, certainly, but not not they're not the be all end all. The my takeaway from that game was the similar takeaway I had for the Niners against the Ravens week before where they lost. But I was more impressed with them. I was more impressed with the Saints in losing uh, than I was with the Niners in winning. I thought the Saints put some things together that they had not shown thus far, and it was impressive. Um, so I'm with you there. Uh, here's one that uh, I think is unintuitive to a lot of people because we put this poll out on Twitter. Who's going to win the NFC East or least, as I should say? And people think that it's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. And you and I perhaps are uh, have placed some bets on the Dallas Cowboys. Well, here's the thing. Dallas, if you add up all their war, I mean, we talked about this with Josh, receivers, Gallup, and, and Cooper. Dak is the second most valuable player in the NFL right now. If you add up their war, they have a higher war than any team in the NFL right now. I mean, they're, com- they're component parts. They're good in the right places. Offensive line, uh, they're one of the best in the NFL as well. Defense has struggled, but where they're good in defense is coverage. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I think we're seeing the negative variance of that right now. Yes. So, like... And the, and the path is pretty simple for them. Beat Philadelphia. That's it. Right? And the Giants took Philadelphia to overtime on Monday Night Football in Philadelphia. The idea that Dallas can't just waltz into Philadelphia and win, and then they play, I believe they play Washington in Week 17. Mm-hmm. The, like, this game, the funniest thing, so if we when we talk about Rams-Cowboys uh, uh, this week, like, the interesting thing about the Rams side is this game matters so much more to them. Dallas can lose this game to the Rams and still win the NFC yep. pretty easily. And so, like, we actually, so the market has them, I believe, about 135, if I'm not mistaken, to win the NFC East. We make it more like 140, which is certainly lower than we've had them before. I mean, I've bet Dallas at minus 200 to win that division at a couple times this year, but it's still a value uh, if you can get it. Yes, uh, that, that is my favorite one, uh, aside from the Super Bowl value. Because uh, if you're going to take... If you're going to take a team with a quarterback and receivers over and a game in the in a bird in the hand, right? Yep, yep. Over a team with a quarterback who's playing kind of poorly and no wide receivers, I'm taking I, like, everything else being equal, which it may basically is. I'm taking Dallas. I mean, especially given the advantage that they already have. I'm 100% with you. And one of the things that I think is interesting is both teams are playing terribly, but one team is playing terribly because they're doing things fundamentally that are bad. 
you know, like they're just a bad team through and through. And the Cowboys are getting the wrong side of variance on plays and situations that we know are unstable and have been good in situations like early downs, uh, passing on early downs, which generally uh, is more consistent. Okay, so let's run into the games here. We're going to start with Thursday night, which is Ravens Jets. We're going to talk about it for one moment and one moment only. This line has steamed up to 16 and a half. We talked about Lamar Jackson. I think they should sit him and just let him rest and let RG3 go out there and win. Ronnie Stanley has a concussion. He's doubtful. So this kind of seems like a game where it's a Thursday nighter. 16 and a half is a lot of points. Yeah. uh, The problem is, is the Jets are every bit as banged up. I mean, Jamal Adams, I, I will make the argument Jamal Adams is the best player on either team. And he's out. Uh, the Jets struggle at receiver other than Robbie Anderson, right? And they mm-hmm. so the issue is is going to be how are they going to make plays in the passing game? Uh, so I don't know. I can see a situation where the Ravens just play this game very conservatively. Uh, they get in, get out, get on with their lives, and win by 10, 14 points, in which case I think the Jets uh, are a decent play. I, I actually have to look and see, because the number has been at 14.5. We saw no value. Um, even at 16.5, we don't show a ton of value here. There's probably more. Um, yeah, I mean... The hard part is is how bad the Jets have been at times this year, even with Darnold, really, and how much the Ravens have wanted to, especially in recent weeks, jump on other teams. Uh, I think this. I think if you're looking at a betting angle for this game, you go to the props and you look at maybe a Lamar Jackson under right rushing yards. You maybe look at, uh, you know, you maybe look at a Robbie Anderson over as a you know because they're going to try to throw the ball when they're behind uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe maybe look at a first half over because the Ravens have been so good at, at you know winning in the first quarter that kind of thing more so than betting full game because I don't think there's a ton of value full game if I had to pick a side I would pick the Jets though plus 16 and a half yes, uh, that's what I was going to say um, the thing that worries me about the Jets is that Sam Darnold we remember that Patriots game where he looked so bad this is the team that zero blitzes the most are the Baltimore Ravens. They did it 10 times uh, to Josh Allen on 10 pass plays. He went three for 10 last week. So um, I don't think the matchup is particularly great for, you know, Sammy, Sammy boy. Uh, But let's move on to games that are actually a potential uh, for the lock of the week. We finally got one, which is the over in San Francisco, New Orleans. So I hope we didn't like use up all of our, because it went over in the first half. Both teams actually come to the point of Josh made defense didn't matter in that game. I mean, that, that total was suppressed. For because they thought the defenses were going to come to play and offense beats good defense and, and they can come to play. And if you have a scheme and a, and a play design that's so good, like the Saints and the Niners continually had, it just doesn't matter enough. All right. Um, let's start with Houston, Tennessee. Uh, the Tennessee Titans are at home and I can't believe I'm saying this, but they are favored and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the model likes the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. And we've, so this is one that we did not put in our spread picks column, mostly because we've just struggled with Tennessee. I know we didn't print it up, but we liked, there have been a number of times this year where green lines like Tennessee heavily uh, in the Mariota days. It was Jacksonville on a Thursday night. It was against Buffalo at home and they missed four field goals. And then the last time green line really liked Tennessee was 
when they played Carolina in Carolina and they ended up losing by 10 when the spread was, I believe four or something. And then a couple weeks ago when we had our terrible week, we liked Jacksonville against Tennessee and Tennessee rolled over them. So we sort of stayed away because, you know, there's a lot of different competing things like is Tannehill's run stable Uh, is Houston. Like, you know, was last week an aberration for Houston or something more like the norm, but here, like, I do think the Titans, um, if I had to pick a side, I think the Titans are a great side here in that they do a lot of things that uh, sound stupid, but control the game. You know, they don't they don't. Derrick Henry's the type of running back that doesn't give away yards, which is if no, you're, no, he does not. If you're going to run the if you're going to run the football right on early downs, at least you're getting. You're, you're getting negatively, you know, EPA on most of those plays, but at least you're not getting negative yardage, which again, and then, you know, Tannehill's doing things like throwing the ball downfield, being great on play action, being efficient overall, you know, AJ Brown's been great. Delaney Walker's come back and had some, had some success. Uh, Corey Davis has been good. Uh, and so like there's, I think there's a significant number of sample paths here where Tennessee just absolutely blows out Houston. And, and even in the games where Houston keeps it close, like Deshaun Watson makes, you know, Deshaun Watson's the third most valuable player in the NFL this year per war. But there are games where he's just, you know, he's just unplayable, like the first half of last week. No Will Fuller scares me. The fact that Ryan Tannehill has actually graded better than Deshaun Watson this yeah. year. My pullback is we're buying or you'd be selling Deshaun Watson at the absolute bottom of the market, right? He had this horrible game against Denver. They did make kind of a comeback effort, but you could have seen that coming Mm -hmm. because they just won their Super Bowl against the Patriots. And it's like, okay, we know letdown is on the way. This game now really matters. They've had a week. They're pissed off. Um, And Deshaun Watson, while he hasn't graded as well as Ryan Tannehill, and the guy's still been really, really solid. One ten passer rating from a clean pocket, um, and has dealt with an offensive line that's been terrible. And I'm not quite sure that the Titans can take advantage of that. So, I will leave this open for consideration. But I say we move on. What's the next game you want to consider? Uh, let's talk. Um, let's go with Cleveland against uh, Pittsburgh. Cleveland against oh, sorry Cleveland Arizona. against Arizona I'm sorry Cleveland against Pittsburgh though would have been would have been a fun game uh, so the Arizona Cardinals I see now they're uh, three point uh, underdogs at home um, and it you know it was like two two and a half the interesting thing is that we still have some value on the Browns as a three point favorite on the road in Arizona when we wrote it up it was two um, so the, clearly some movement going towards the Browns. I can't totally explain this because I know the Cardinals suck, but there's just no good news that ever comes out about the Browns for good reason. Like Odell Beckham Jr. has gone from a top 10 wide receiver as a, as a rookie with Eli Manning to like 60th in yards per target now with mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield. We've got Freddie Kitchens over here, you know, uh, running the ball in fourth and nine. Baker Mayfield has an 82 pass rating from a clean pocket. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah, I, the, but the problem is, is a lot of the things. So pass, that's where passer rating falls short, right? Yep. Because Baker's not generating turnover worthy plays at the high, like among the highest in the NFL. He's turned the ball over a lot, but a lot of that is drop passes by, you know, they got lucky last week, but like drop passes by receivers that turn into interceptions, um, you know, 
and that's been a majority. But over the last, like, you know, they've won four of their last five games. They've covered four of the last five games. If you look at the closing line, Baker's been sacked only 10 times in the last five games, which is passable. He's doubled the number of touchdowns to interceptions. He's thrown for over seven yards an attempt, despite all of these things. So to me, though, this is a huge fade on Arizona because Arizona is how do you come out of a bye week with three consecutive home games and lay an egg in both of them? And then, you know, you come over here, like how much is there left to be had in terms of motivation for them? As well as the fact that yes, the Browns offense has not been great, but where have they, where have they gotten healthy this year against the jets who suck uh, against the, against the dolphins who suck. Like they're, they're more than capable of beating up on a, on a terrible defense. And Arizona is one of, if not the worst defenses in the NFL. So I really like this. I like this pick for the Browns just because again, we're all even a three. Uh, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, is that three you're getting you're laying even money basically, yeah, yeah. right? So, so it, yeah, it's true. about about the equivalent bet to minus two, minus one twenty. So, uh, it has moved in our direction, which is encouraging on our end. But uh, I would still lay the three there, just because again, the Browns I think are are ahead are out in front of Arizona in terms of class. Yeah, I can kind of get on board with it. Uh, what's the next game you want to talk about? Let's talk about the Rams against the Cowboys. Let's do it. This we, is going to be a fun game. It, it, very interesting. The look ahead line for this game was Dallas minus four. I know. And even when we lo- we logged in on Sunday night, it was one and a half Dallas favored. I got Dallas or sorry, I got the Rams at plus three, even money uh, prior to the games last week. Now the Rams are favored by two on the road. And we know we talked about this on Sunday night. Dallas does not have a great home field advantage. Um, but I just think I think and I know what our numbers say. And, and I and I, I will point in the right. I will point in their direction as well. Dallas is the first ranked team in terms of our offensive rankings. Mm-hmm. They're not, you know, their defense isn't terrible as well, although their opponents have sucked. Like, this is a spot where I'm not going to probably bet on Dallas other than to hedge the win total bet early in the season, but I'm I'm not laying it with the Rams here. I'm not either. The thing with the Rams that is tough is they are, they're such a hot or cold team. It's like mm-hmm. either it's a disaster for Jared Goff or he's in a situation where he's comfortable and they've got a chance to beat anybody. Seahawks are a great example of that. The Cowboys, I think, are still an example of that, right? The game's in dome. Their defense doesn't have the teeth that would make you, like, terrified. Um, And I don't know, but I I agree with you. I mean, it's the line movement is kind of ridiculous, but it does. It does show again. And I I know, you, you know, you don't like to talk about the past, but with all four of our win total bets this year, they could they they're you're in a good situation. If you bet Dallas this week, you could get a middle. You bet mm-hmm. Tam, you bet Detroit this week, you could get a middle on Tampa Bay's. If you bet the Bears this week, you can get a middle. Not only are we in a position where we're one game away from all three of those, but the the other side is favored as well. So you're in a position this week where if you find if you can if you like the value on on the underdog or the favorite in the case of, or sorry, the underdog in the case of uh, Detroit, like there's some value in sort of like hedging bets, looking for a middle there. Yep. Trying not to lose your lunch, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next one. Let's, let's chat about the, uh, the Patriots going to Cincinnati and I briefly, very briefly. uh, But I really liked the Patriots 
favored by anything less than 10. Our model hit me in the face. But the total is 40 and a half. 40 and a half, not a lot of points. Yeah, here's the thing with this one. I think 40 and a half is the way to go um, uh, for the over because the, the weather here sucks today, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's going to be better on Sunday. I think people are a little overreacting Can't a little be bit. worse. A little overreacting a little bit to that. The, the, the Bengals have been have have had some life offensively without with Andy Dalton back in the lineup. They're basically a pick six away from at least, you know, they, they didn't even cover the closing line, but covering all the lines last week, if not winning the game outright, they've moved the ball with Dalton. They've had some success with Joe Mixon on the ground of late. Um, and the Patriots are going to be a team. So that's one thing. So there, if this game is played closely, I think it's played closely in a way that this game goes over. Mm-hmm. If the Patriots come out and much like 2014 say we're on to Cincinnati and they blow the the, the doors off of the yeah. the the uh, Bengals, this game goes over, I think. Right. So you get a little bit of both here. Uh, our number is, you know, and I've seen it at 40, 40 and a half. Our number is more like 41 and a half. Um, monitor this as as it sort of moves. But um yeah, I, I like, I, you know, the Bengals were not able to stop the Browns last week. No, when, even though Baker Mayfield was under 50 percent completion, they were able they were run on by Kareem Hunt. They were they're run a bad on. team. Yeah, they're and just a bad team. If there's a team, but that, they're a competitive team. They're a bad competitive team, which I think plays to this. Oh, they haven't man. quit, right? They haven't quit, which I think they're will, the worst team in the NFL, but they're competitive. But what that means is you're going to get Dalton trying to make plays, which could be an interception. Pick touchdown. Six. Yep. Yeah, right. Like you're not going to get a team that's in the tank. The uh, I want to throw out one more over before we talk about the Sunday night game, which I think is the last one on our list of potentials. Um, the over comes to us from the Monday night game where the Saints and the Colts are playing. And uh, the total is at 46 and a half. And my thought here is come down considerably. Yes. And I think the reason is that the people are kind of out on the Colts and I no, actually it's gone up, but, but oh. well, anyways, I think this is too low. It feels as though that the saints at home are a team that against a, a Colts team that kind of has this, this defense that challenged you to complete a lot of passes. Drew Brees will complete all of those passes yeah. and score a lot of points. So nine, you know, Frank Reich gets a lot of respect from me. So while I think there is value on the saints and our model has value on the saints at nine. The over is kind of where I'd like to go because if they do win by 10 plus, I trust Frank Reich to score enough points to to get over that number. The tricky thing is, is this the Colts play slowly, right? So that's a, that's a hard one, but so yeah, so do the saints two starting defensive ends for defensive linemen for the saints are out. Teron Armstead's also out. So the the question is, is which one of those matters the most? I think the Colts get some more. The T.Y. Hilton might be healthy for this game. Zach Pascal has played mm-hmm. tremendously in his stead. Uh, Brissett's been fine, but also Brissett is a turnover prone quarterback, which means short fields for New Orleans. Plus, New Orleans has just come off of a loss that they want to avenge. Uh, so I do think that the pedal is to the metal for New Orleans here. So I don't hate the over. Any others before Sunday night? Should we talk about Chicago Green Bay briefly? Sure. Okay. It's a big game. Yeah, this one was one we talked about on our on our Sunday pod. Chicago at five and a half was a joke. Yep. It's gone all the way down to four. I still think there's I still think, and again, if you have Chicago under nine and a half wins, Chicago plus four here is probably still a bet. But even that I just think 
this did not make our column because of the line movement, but I think Chicago is still a solid side here. Um, You're back on the Mitch train, huh? Yeah, I'm sold after three games. You know, you know what scared me off about this a little bit is I the Packers offense has been disappointing in my mind, but EPA on early downs, both passing and overall, they've actually been a top six, five or six team. So I was worried that I, you know, you hate to go into something and be like, hey, this is my reason. And then someone's like, oh, by the way, that reason is wrong. Like, okay, maybe I need to reconsider things. But as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, okay, their offense is actually decent. Um, The Bears offense has been so bad for so long that I think some of that is still carried with them. And 40 and a half is a low number. If this game is close, right? So I, you know, I do agree with you. Obviously, if you want to get a middle, this is a great move, but if you don't, if this game stays close, you've got two teams that are, are maybe being a little undervalued offensively that, uh, you know, it could, it could climb over. Yeah, I don't disagree. Forty and a half seems uh, really low for a Bears defense that's banged up, a Packers defense that's overrated, and two offenses that, despite bad quarterback play, frankly, by both men at mo- at times, can be efficient given the the coordinator and the and the uh, ancillary players. Okay, uh, the last one being the uh, Bills. Uh, you got to flex Doc in the Sunday night. Yeah, you have to flex, man. Um, Are they going to get the beak? The bill? The beak. It's the bill. <laughs> we need someone to weigh in on this. It's a duck bill. But the, the thing is a beak, though. No, it's a bill. Okay, well. It's a duck bill cap. You know what those look like? Right. Yeah, it's not a pointed edge. I'm going to get you a beak cap so you can walk around with a pointed edge cap. <laughs> um, here's the thing. The, the better quarterback is Duck Hodges. And I know that's crazy to say, but Josh Allen, Josh Allen's best game is better than, than Duck Hodges. But the variance there is so massive, right? We saw it last week with the Baltimore game. There are weeks where him throwing the ball just gives you no shot really to win the game. And it, to me, that is that is just not something that I want to bet on. In fact, I want to bet against it. Juju's coming back. James Washington has been very good. Um, and to me there that Mason Rudolph was so bad that Doc Hodges is elevating this offense. Well, and he's a number one graded quarterback from a clean pocket past two weeks. We've seen Deontay Johnson emerge. We've seen at times James Washington emerge. I know Vance McDonald had a concussion last week. I, I think he's going to be playing. And then Juju and James Conner will be back. Um, that offensive line is pretty damn good. Uh, and uh, aside from it all, the defense is great, right? Yeah. And the defense, you know, we know that certain things about defense are unsustainable. Like turnovers generated, but oh yeah, they T.J. Watt right now in terms of WAR is the most valuable edge player in the entire NFL. Yeah, he's got over seventy. Ty and Secchi injured, right? Might not be playing. If he does play, he'll be banged up. And then that secondary, like Steven Nelson, has been a top like ten corner in the NFL yeah. this year. Minka Fitzpatrick has been terrific. Uh, Joe Hayden forced a bunch, you know, forced key turnovers the other day. Um, again, we don't think defense matters when the offense is great, right? But when the offense is not, like there, there are they are a defense that can capitalize on the errors that Josh Allen makes. 
I think they do here. I think I think Pittsburgh is the right side and and um, and over 36. I don't know. Like we are. are, I think any mathematical model is going to like over 36 this week. Right. So uh, I don't think there's anything special about these two teams that make that the case other than they're bad enough offensively where the market like pushes their number all the way down to here. But that's another consideration as well. Josh Allen looked really bad against the Ravens blitz. I'd expect the Steelers to blitz a ton as well. Um, and the Bills defense has been very good from a scheme perspective, but they do not have the stars, the superstars that really scare me. So I, I will side with the model. I, I'd also like the over, but um, I like the Steelers minus two. All right. You ready to pick? Okay. Uh, unless there's anything else that I'm missing. No. From this amazing slate of games. Uh, no. Man, this is tough. Yeah, this is tough. I, my initial thought is um, is actually the New England Cincinnati over, uh, but I hate totals yeah. in general because I just feel like they don't really like giving to charity, and I try to give to charity. Yeah, I my thing is again, Pitts. Like the thing with Pittsburgh is that you're buying them topish of the yes. market, even though I still like to pick mathematically. I think we should be picking Cleveland on the top of their market, but the way that they've played recently ha- still like if you ask the average person on the street, how have the Browns done in the last five games? They're not going to say, Oh, they've been four and one against the spread four and one Baker Mayfield's playing a lot better. They're going to say, Oh, they had an awfully tough time with the Bengals last week and, and, and so on and so forth. And the average person doesn't care about Arizona. So for me, like, even though, we sh- like I think this number should be more like four, and and so if I can get Cleveland at minus two and a half, even juiced, I'm going to take Cleveland as as my best bet. Actually, it's minus one fifteen in some places, so that's where I would look. I would look at the Cleveland Browns uh, here, um, ATS. Man. I think we've had the Browns like so we've had there have been teams where we've systematically struggled with them. But I think the Browns have been a team that we've handicapped relatively well this year. I I don't feel dissimilarly about the Steelers, to be honest. I think the Bills are overrated. Um, I think they're getting credit for playing a close game against the Ravens. Uh, Lamar Jackson, who was a little banged up. Um, Man. Do we consult Flamus Winston over here? Yeah, should we ask? <laughs> uh, it's tough. It's tough for me to back Freddie Kitchens. But you're 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 putting yourself in a position to back either Freddie Kitchens or Duck, right? And you and like Duck? Absolutely. Okay. I absolutely like. I can duck. be convinced. Okay. Um, here's here's what I'll say. The 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 Cardinals do suck, but. They have the better quarterback than the Bills do, right? Yeah. Aren't you more worried about? I think Baker is better than Kyler at this point. I agree. And I and I agree, but I'm saying like if you have one quarter, you got to win this game either way. Yeah. Right. What if the what if the Pittsburgh Steelers can't score? So like my issue is is if I'm going to back a, if I'm going to back an underdog the fact that they can't score is less of an issue for me mm-hmm. because they just basically have to keep the game close. If I'm backing a favorite, I need them to be able to move the football with ease 
right? And get out ahead, get multiple scores ahead. So in the fourth quarter, I'm not grinding out like a, oh man, I hope the New Eng- I hope the New Orleans Saints make this two point conversion, right? So then all this kind of stuff, right? And and because that's that's the tricky part, right? Where the incentives are not necessarily in line for a team like Pittsburgh, who and again I like the pick, but I'm just saying if I'm trying to break a tie. I just need that. I need to be able to have assurances that that team is going to move the football. And I have, I feel so much more strongly about the Cleveland Browns being able to move the football against the Arizona Cardinals that I do. than I do the, the Pittsburgh Steelers moving the football against Buffalo bills. Right. So I'm like, I I do. That's mostly because like, then they can cover, like they can, like there's a significant number of sample paths where Cleveland's out ahead 21 zero in the fourth quarter. And this thing's a rocking chair. Right. And can you imagine what, what are the scenarios in which Pittsburgh's up 21, nothing in the late in the game against Buffalo? It's pick sixes. It's. Long runs or lo- uh, one it's long duck t- matriculating the ball down the field. Right, I mean, I can weave and and when we backed Pittsburgh as an underdog, right against San Francisco, against like that was enough, right? Them not being able to move the ball but getting a big play or two, right? But being able to extend and, and make the game a touchdown game or a two touchdown game, I just again I like Pittsburgh, but I but I think it's it's going to be it's far more tenuous than picking a team that has good offensive components that sucks. I, I mean. Good offensive components that have been undervalued all year against a defense that is garbage, building up a lead. Okay, here's here's the uh, concession I'll make. We'll go with Freddie Kitchens, but if I if, if Freddie if Freddie goes out to Arizona and thinks the desert is a dessert and just eats himself out of the game. Never again. <laughs> Never again. Okay. Never again. Never again. Okay. All right. Uh, so lock of the week is God, Freddie Kitchens and the Browns. Oh, my God. Minus two and a half is the, is the number. Minus 115 will go. Oh, brother. Um, do you want to fire through the rest of the games? We've got like five minutes. Let's just let's just talk about the, the, uh, the rest of the games. What's the best of the bunch? Um... I mean, I, the Chiefs Broncos, right? So, what what is the what's the narrative with Chiefs? Chargers Vikings? Uh, well, hmm. let's talk Chargers Vikings as our last game today. Okay, Chargers are are getting two and a half points at home. It was three, I believe, go, but three sort of juiced mm-hmm. towards uh, towards uh, Minnes. No, towards the Chargers. So it sort of moved in that direction as well. This is a game that I think Minnesota struggles with more than people imagine. Thielen is back. Thielen is back, but the but the Chargers have one of the best secondaries in the NFL now that Derwin James is healthy. Casey Hayward is really good. Desmond King's very good. Minnesota is very good rushing the passer from the edge, but not the interior. Yeah. Bree, uh, uh, sorry, not, the breeze is the man he replaced, but Phillip Rivers stepping up into the pocket. The receivers for the Chargers are not bad. Yeah. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry. What does Minnesota struggle with this year? Covering players down the field. Uh, I think this game has a potential to be a shootout in, in LA. I do too. And the thing that, I keep coming back to with the Minnesota Vikings is when they are healthy, their offense has three legitimate studs that can take the ball to the house at any time. 
the Chargers, when healthy, have legitimate studs at wide receiver that can take the ball to the house anytime. So I would rather jump on the offensive narrative for both of these teams. Kirk Cousins, like a 123 pass rating from a clean pocket. Um, the Chargers actually EPA per pass is not is not terrible despite their record. The Chargers are like one in nine or one in eight in close games. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? All, I believe all of their losses have been one score. It was the ex- it was the exact opposite win. as last year, where they won the majority of their close games of the six or seven and one. Here's my question to you: it, As you are from Minnesota, uh, the Minnesota Vikings fans—they travel into this one. They coming out to LA for this? Yeah, I actually think there are a fair amount of Vikings fans that actually live in yeah. LA. So. Uh, I know I know of uh, a couple that are going to that are pumped about this game. Um, so so I uh, I'm with you and I think that it's a scary game for the Vikings. If you're a Vikings fan right now, you are probably feeling decent, but you should probably be a little nervous, right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, because because people people and this is again why we still like green bay as a division bet even though it's gotten a little bit heavy um minnesota even with even winning out does not win the division because of tiebreakers and vikings fans when they've talked about this are very despondent about that mm-hmm. but to me the, the 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 tougher thing is there's a legitimate chance that they don't win enough of these last three games to overtake the los angeles or to to be ahead of the los angeles rams when this is all said and done the vikings have a, a sneaky tough schedule moving forward and it starts this week and i and i think people are over looking the chargers because they have a bad record but this is not a bad team this is a team with a positive point differential this is a team with a good set of players and as much as we give anthony lynn crap i think when it comes to fourth down decision making and all those kinds of things mike zimmer is in the same cluster so this is going to be a game that i think if you're a vikings fan prepare for frustration and uh hope for the best I'm with you. It should be a fun game. I think there are some games out there that uh, you may be able to scrape around some value as well, like uh, maybe San Francisco, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Washington, Philadelphia, Washington. So not, if you uh, go to PFF.com, you get a lead subscription. You can check uh, check out all the games on Greenline, plus all the bowl games, plus a bunch of really good content on the site. You wrote a phenomenal piece on quarterback rushing. So if you're about to watch the Ravens game, you should check that out. And of course, uh, a deep dive into PFF war. Uh, the MVP conversation and uh, the battle for the AFC's two seed. So that does it for us. Uh, actually, we do we have a, a Cincy Y story this week? Not really, other than uh, me beating Steve in a dunk contest. Steve's so tall that people thought the rim wasn't 10 feet tall. It was 10 feet tall. I, I can attest that it is 100% uh, 10 feet tall. I forgot my goggles the other day. I had to borrow goggles. Can't tell you how thoroughly I washed my face after that. Anyways, uh, that does for us. We'll be back on early Monday morning to talk about uh, Week 16 games. Thanks to Josh Hermes. That guy's awesome. Yep. Peace out.